Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Part of the Boundless Audio Podcast Network. Get out the way, cause history's here to stay. We're on the wine track, baby. We were born to slay. Hey, welcome back after a long and unintentional hiatus due to technology being a bitch to another episode of Wine About Herstory, the women's history podcast where two besties with breasties whine about women from history that you probably haven't heard of, but Dev should have. Mm-hmm. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And uh, so in June... We were celebrating Pride and profiling queer women, um, and then technology decided to come in and just curb stomp our asses. Uh, So it's been a minute. In a minute, I'm going to need another podcast to pump me up. Um, But we are still going to continue whining about queer women. We have the stories ready. And here's the thing. We don't just whine about queer women in June. So every month is Pride. So suck it, homophobes. Yay. Yeah. Suck my strap on. Na, 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 na. It's a new song. Yes. Okay. Yes. It it was not as clever as my Lady Gaga. No, that was was beautiful. That was beautiful. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Is it my wine? It is your wine. Oh, God. No, okay. it would have been my wine, but I don't remember what we drank. I don't. Okay, here. T- truth oh, be told. Oh, we drank the peach stuff. Oh, fuck. That was so good. It was so good. But oh, we, my God. But we drank it all. It's the problem. It was so good. Okay, truth be told, we have recorded this episode once before, but when we listened to the audio, first I became of all, a robot and Emily just disappeared. Well, we both became insane robots. And then half of my audio was just completely missing because even our magic black box cannot fucking stand me. <laughs> so um, it has been several weeks, though, because we we did the the interview with Isabel Vincent and we, like I was traveling and Kelly was traveling. So I actually don't remember anything about Kelly's story. I don't even know if I totally remember my story. Like, this is going to be such a fun experience. I definitely don't remember my other story. I wrote these notes like a month ago. Yeah, it's been a while. So this is going to be a fun journey of discovery for all of us. But today we are drinking the bottle of wine that is within arm's reach of me called Strange Cabaret Frank. And Frank... He is the only mustache ride that I want because on the bottle, he has a mustache that is holding a butter knife, a little egg in a cup, and a fork with asparagus on the end of the fork. Yeah. It's impressive. That's the man I want me to make breakfast. Right? Like, and that's the breakfast I want. Oh my God. He's just, he's, it's funny because on the, on the bottle, it says astonishing and remarkable. Yes. Uh, miraculous, marvelous mustache. Oh yeah, the whole wine is called Strange Cabaret Frank, and the um, and the tale of the miraculous and marvelous mustache. Nice, Cabernet Franc, France, two thousand nineteen. Let's see, what does the back say? Oh, the back also <laughs> has the two sides of his mustache as like a weird border, but they're not connected. <laughs> Yeah. 
It's, it is weird. Hell? Oh my god, they look like a couple of fuzzy. Li- they actually kind of look like something I find in my shower drain. Anyway, Cabaret Frank number one is a luscious Cabernet Franc. Yeah, Cabernet. I'm like, I can't read. Cabernet Franc from France's long established Languedoc. Language duck region, juicy, rich, and ripe, a red berry fruit cracker, intense and lip-smacking to titillate the adventurous palate. Oh, Frank, buy me some breakfast first. And remember, women should not drink while pregnant. All right, well, do we have glasses in front of us? Not in front of us, they're over there. All right, are are we just going to... Are we just going to like lowball it and drink from the bottle? Sure. I'm fine with that. Okay. Well, um, cheers with your water bottle and the wine. Hold on. There. there <laughs> little, little clink. Sad, pathetic, drinking from the bottle clink. I really like this. I keep thinking it's like a Cab Sauv. I don't think we've had a Cabernet Franc before. I don't think we have either. I don't really remember good. it, but it is very good. It is really like jammy and yeah. like very like super strong berry notes. In and, a good way. Um, yeah, I don't know. Frank, um, he can kind of do whatever he wants to me. Just saying. That's a miraculous, marvelous mustache. Ooh. Also, before we get started, we do have a say their name. Because Kelly has a new member of her family oh, who's yes. joined us. I did, I did post it on Instagram, on our, our Instagram. Oh, on our Instagram? Oh, okay. I, I was going to try to make everyone think that you acquired a baby. I did not acquire a baby. Well, you kind of acquired a baby. I mean, I did. Just but not, not of the human, human variety. <laughs> yes. For those of you who don't follow us on Instagram or Facebook, um, I got a new puppy. Her name is Zana. She's a little white and cream pug, and she is freaking adorable she is absurdly cute Tiny. she is inappropriately small it is offensive how sweet and adorable she is i don't know how anything like that exists and i might write my congressman about it because <laughs> she is literally too cute to poot Yes. Cannot, will not, won't. <laughs> but will. Yes, but will. But I immediately was like, can I just start touching her? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. She's actually like a super chill puppy too. Like she doesn't mind people holding her and stuff. It's not like one of the first times I met Navi. I came over to let her out and feed her because you were out of town. <laughs> <laughs> I love this story. <laughs> and like, I I lived here with Kelly's other pugs. So they knew me and that was fine. But Navi, on the other hand, was like, whoa, bitch, you got to slow the fuck down. And she, I, I was like chasing her around the house because she wouldn't let me like take her outside and she wouldn't eat. And I was like trying to catch her. And at one point I picked her up and she's facing away from me and she just starts peeing. <laughs> Fortunately, it landed on an empty pizza box, so she's got great and convenient accuracy, but yeah. I was like, God damn it. This isn't supposed to be so difficult. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she still she still hates me a little bit, but it's fine. She loves you, hates you now. Yeah, no, she, she loves to hate me. 
Sounds about I'm right. her favorite villain. Yes. Yeah. And Dory's. Dory loves me. Yes. She also just likes to poop in front of your window when you lived here. No, that was Navi, wasn't it? No. That was Dory. It was Dory. Yeah. It was Dory. But Dory, I that Dory was, just loves you. Dory loved to poop in front of my window in our like garden level apartment and in front of my door. In front of my bedroom door. But I take that as a sign of love rather than animosity. That's true. Like she does that, love you. Dory, she gets so excited when you come over. Dory communicates her feelings through her feces. Mm. Fecal feelings. <laughs> All right. Well, now that everyone knows about Kelly's sweet, stupid, fucking cute puppy that just makes you want to punch a goddamn wall. Who goes first? Me. Thank God. Thank you, God. Emily needs some time to calm down. After I the do. Puppy. I do. It's, it's a lot. Um, I am entirely overly stimulated right now i need more wine i'm over here like i could take a nap i could also take a, i could take a wine nap but i want to take it with a puppy and accurate. my dogs and my cat accurate all right so with me going first i am whining about winner redder winner redder off to Winno. a brilliant start 100 winner <laughs> singer you know what this reminds me of like you're you're at a track meet and you're you know you do your like start off and you immediately fall flat on your face. Yeah, that's exactly what just happened. Winner, winner, the world, the winneretta singer. And for people who sew or no sewing machines, this is that family, the singer family of singer sewing machines. Oh my god! Okay, that is like the only thing I remember about her <laughs> that she's got a great first name that we need to bring back. Yes, Winneretta needs bring, to be brought back, or Winneretta. Winneretta. I don't know. Either maybe one. maybe you prefer Both. that. <laughs> yeah, maybe you like a good er at the end of your name. But yeah, Winneretta is a name that needs to come back. And yeah, singer like that's singer. that's so crazy to me. So she was born in Yonkers, New York, the 20th of 24 children of Isaac Singer. Um, not all of them were legitimate children. They were various women. You know, this is the only time I'm ever thankful to hear that because the idea of one human being having 24 children makes me sick. Yeah. <laughs> like, it makes me physically ill. I need the puppy sat. <laughs> I cannot cope. <laughs> So Winneretta was one of his legitimate children, though. Also, like, we use legitimate and illegitimate with unsexy finger yes. quotes because it's all bullshit. Like, children cannot be illegitimate. Right. But at the time, it was, she was from she, a marriage affair. She was from one of his wives. Or affair. Her, yeah. Yeah. She, he was from a mar or she was from a marital affair. He had several children from extramarital affairs. There you go. So her mother was... His Parisian-born second wife, Isabella Eugenie Boyer. That's pretty cool. Isabella Eugenie Boyer. Yep. Love it. I'm, I'm sure it sounds nicer in French. Probably. So we're way back in time. So this is right after the American Civil War. The family would move to Paris. And they would remain in Paris until about 1870 when um, the Franco-Prussian War started in France and then they were like yeah maybe we'll leave because I would leave too well the Francos and the Prussians just were beefing hard at that time they were not getting along at all the Prussians were really upset with all of the French language the Franks they were just 
Just doing their mustaches. Man. I don't know. <laughs> like, the Franks. They were just they were throwing their frogs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. I okay. Uh, I will be the first to admit, if you hadn't already figured it out, I don't know like shit about the Franco-Prussian war. They're just throwing wine bottles at people. Wine bottles. They're charging on their horses with baguettes. Like jousting. Their guns have baguettes instead of the um, bayonets. Bayonets. (laughs) Bayonet baguette, go! (laughs) That would be delicious. I really want bread now. Thanks. Can we go to Jimmy Jones and get some day-old bread for 50 cents? Yes. Because I just want to chomp. An entire one of those. So good. Oh my God. Dale, Jimmy John's bread and Cabaret Frank. Yes. That's the life we're living right now. And Frank's mustache. His mustache and his bread. Ooh. Mm. So when they left France, they would settle in England, first in London, and then they would move outside of the city to Paddington. Paddington. Oh, I thought it was Paddington. I'm no, like, like the Paginton. little bear with the wellies. No. Aww. So it's Paddington, Devon, which is, I don't know, a, a subsect of England. I don't know England well enough. I, Maybe it's like a state. I don't know. Someone well, in England's getting really mad at me right now. <laughs> well, they, they have they have towns and villages and cities and like, yeah. yeah but they, they have a lot of things like on Devon, on this, because yeah. everyone on everybody in England. Right. That's why... Paddington's Paddington, Pegging Paddington. I'm sorry. Oh, it's not even P A I G N T O N. Paddington. Okay, it sounds like you're saying Paddington. No, and I'm like P A I Pag Paddington Devon. Ooh, yes. <laughs> this is a very um sexy episode, yeah, and I don't know why that's happened. <laughs> So they would move into the Old Way Mansion, which was essentially a palace, had 115 rooms, and it was built by her father. So just super fancy McMansion. I love, I love the idea that it was a McMansion. It's a McMansion. Yeah, it's like all the all the people who want their mansions and want their like glitzy shows of status, but want them super fast, just built their mansions out of plywood and. With 115 rooms, but the whole thing was hanging on by prayers and dreams right. and, hope. <laughs> and pure hope. hope. Just pure hope and illegitimate children. Yeah. <laughs> the kids are just like holding up the walls. Like, right. Father, can I have a hug now? <laughs> That's terrible. That's super really funny. Fun. That's why you have so many children. Hold up the walls of your old timey 1800s McMansion. Yeah, there you go. So. Growing up, Winnaretta had full access to the to the fortune that her father had amassed um, during the development of sewing machines, and she received every privilege that could possibly be brought or bought, brought or sought, or sought, or she basically any anything she could think of that she wanted, she got. And she picked up a lot of passions from her mother. um, One, the core of which was like art. Not only did she appreciate like looking at art, but she also studied painting and actually became quite accomplished in painting um, herself. But her true passion lay, lay, lie, lay, lane. She Lou? liked music. Her it passion Lou. was in music. <laughs> um, and from a young age, she would surround herself and her mom would surround her with incredible musicians, which in turn surrounded her with incredible music. And she would also be able, she would be a pianist. She'd be, she'd 
be a fairly famous pianist in her time. Um, I bet she would. Right. Pianist. Um, I, I, I will never forget when my grandmother was talking about that movie and was. Penis. Ju- yeah. The penis. Yeah. It was like, it was a great movie. My mom and I are both like, what the fuck are you talking about? Your and grandma's I, just casually talking about watching porn. Yeah. No, I mean. Can I just say, if my grandma started casually talking about porn, she would be a saint. She would, I would start campaigning to the Vatican on her behalf. <laughs> like, that is incredible. But yeah, no, she just, um, that's just how she, she did. She it. didn't alliterate it like super well, you know, cause you say pianist, you know, you say it very quickly, but you have, you have to be very pianist. Yeah. But every time I hear that word, I'm just like penis. 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 Yeah. Frank is not helping me either. Right. So yeah, though though she was talented in both music and painting, she preferred to be kind of more on the back end and watch other people create art and support them. Which is fine. I love that. So her father would die in 1875 and Isabella would take Winnaretta and the rest of her children back to Paris. Probably kind of like a why stay here when... I'm sure her family was in Paris. Well, the dad died. So all of his illegitimate children didn't have a reason to hang around and right, hold so up the, the walls of the mansion. I mean, you got to have a lot of kids to clean 115 rooms. Right. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's don't worry, everyone. I'm not going to be a parent. Right. <laughs> so um, she would continue moving in artistic circles and make many friends. Um and she would meet one person in particular named Gabrielle Fiore. And it was through him that she really found her calling in the art world in that she became his benefactor and like a patron of the arts, basically. So Gabby Gabs was an artist and she's like, oh, my God, I love your art. I'm going to support you. Yeah. Okay, so that is like me with all of my artist friends, except she actually has the money to back to that do up. It, yeah. I'm like, like here's $3. I'm gonna come to your art show and buy a pair of earrings. So yeah, he <laughs> and he she's was... like, here's money, here's paint. Right. Well, and he was a composer too, so like here's a piano. He was a composer and an impressionist. So he did a little bit of both composing and I wonder what art. impressions that people did in the eighteen hundreds of Paris. Because you can't do like Robin Williams right. or Jimmy Stewart or da, 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 painting da, da. style. <laughs> Anyways, um, her mother would remarry just a few years after her father died um, to a Belgian violinist named Victor Nicholas Rubisset. Victor Nicholas Rubisset? Yep. Um, I like He that. was terrible. No, oh, don't no. like that. Damn it! <laughs> Back up. He was um, terrible, and there were a lot of rumors about the violence in their household, particularly probably toward Winnaretta. Oh, fuck. Um, so basically, as soon as Winnaretta turned 21 and became financially independent and could get her chunk of her father's inheritance, she noped the fuck out of there. Good for her. And then within a year, married to like completely solidify, like, no, I'm not coming home. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Her poor mother... Like, could, yeah. like, I'm really glad Winnaretta got out of there, but right. I, I'm sure we don't really hear much about her mother no. from. Yeah. So also I know that it's okay. A child comes into the world. You don't know if they're going to turn out to be a piece of shit. Right. But 
can we all agree that if a, if someone has a really cool name and they turn into a piece of shit, we revoke they, their name. We revoke their cool name. Yeah. Okay. They're all Steves. Steve. I'm sure there are some lovely Steves out there, but Steve's. no one's going to. Lovely but, Steves. Change your name to something cooler. But I'm just saying, no one's going to be like, oh, Steve. That's, that's so, dis- he had such a cool name. That's so disappointing. Right. Whereas Victor Nicholas, it's like, that's a good name. Yeah. Damn him. Right. Victor's a great name. Yeah. So th- what I find also interesting is that even though this is like 1880, 1880 something ish, you're not financially independent until you're 21, even though by that time you're almost like a spinster. <laughs> yeah. I love it's like, oh, marrying off my daughter, 15. marrying off my daughter at 13. Fine. Giving her a fuck ton of money. Not till she's 21. Yeah. Like, wow. Maybe if a child is not mature enough to handle all that money responsibly, they shouldn't be getting married. married. Right. So by the time that she would get married at 22, uh, Winnaretta understood one thing about herself very clearly. She was a lesbian. She 100% knew that there was no question in her mind, but she also understood that the benefits of marriage to a man were too tempting to pass by at this time. Socially, women were at a disadvantage if they were not financially tied to a man, whether it's their father or their husband. Yeah. So even though she's like probably a multimillionaire, it was still more beneficial to get married than remain unmarried. Yeah. And actually, I think that says something that even though she's in a, a position of privilege financially and socially, even she's like, I gotta play the game. Yeah. And that's that's very sad. I'm not gonna criticize her for that. It's no, just very sad. Yeah. Um, so it was on their wedding night that Winnerretta clearly drew her boundaries. I'm really hoping she like kinda told him before and he just didn't understand, but you never know. <laughs> but there is a story that she apparently on their wedding night stood on top of the closet brandishing um, brandishing an umbrella at her now husband and declared, If you touch me, I will kill you. You know what? I um I really admire her ability to set boundaries as someone who is very who struggles a lot with that. Also, Take yourself a really fancy umbrella to point at people. If I ever get married, I'm putting like an absurdly opulent umbrella on my wedding registry. Yeah. Like this is happening. Also, I agree with you too. I hope this was a conversation. And like, I could just see it. Though, I kind of want it to be his fault where, where she's like, hey, by the way, I'm a lesbian. This is like, just a financial right. transition, transaction. He's like, he's like, oh, sure, honey. Yeah. Like, well, it's OK. You just have never had a good dick before. And she's like, right. I have this umbrella. Right. Or she, or it was one of those things that she was like, I, I don't want to have sex with you. And in his mind, it was I don't want to have sex with you until marriage. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, no, I want period. I also don't give anyone at this time any credit for being able to openly and effectively communicate right. about their sexual sexuality or sexual right. needs and expectations. Yeah. So uh, shockingly, uh, that marriage didn't last very long. Uh, it became very strained. And within five years, they were able to get their marriage annulled because obviously they never consummated it. So an annulment was an option. Yeah. Which is an annulment like... Basically, the marriage never happened. No, I know, but it's 
Is that like a legal thing or is that just like for Catholics? I think it's so it could, both. Because, because I know Catholics um, were very not into the divorce thing, even though I never knew anyone who was like, you can't get a divorce. Um, I knew people who should have gotten divorces. So annulments <laughs> are both secular. Basically, it's both. It's, it's a legal proceeding to declare a marriage null and void. Um, unlike a divorce, it is retroactive and basically it is considered that the marriage was invalid from the beginning as if never had taken place. Whereas a divorce is like the marriage happened. Yeah. And now we and have now to, you're no longer together Yeah, versus annulment is like, no, this never happened. JK. Yeah. Uh, so, so I have a friend who got an annulment and I, I was like, well, is it. You different is that the word usually, you're using, or is it a legal thing, or is it a religious thing? That's interesting. And I usually, new. to have like the the church approve it, and usually the courts too. Yeah, the the marriage usually has to be not consummated. Can I just say that's a really weird line to yes. draw? You can't have sex if you don't want to be married. But but if you have sex with someone you're not married to, it's fu- it like no yeah, big deal. Yeah, and again, I'm not thing. saying that's a bad thing. I'm just no, saying it's, it's just a, a really weird up. line to draw that like, Oh no, 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 no. Your genitals touching is the line that we're drawing to the legitimacy of this marriage. Yeah. Maybe we need to rethink that. Right. Yeah. Um, so only a year after this, fa- this failed marriage, this marriage <laughs> that never actually happened, she was approached by a man Named Count Robert de Montesquieu. I don't know if how, I don't actually know how you pronounce his last name. Montesquieu. Yeah, Montesquieu. We'll go with that. Cool. Um, who knew about her sexuality? He knew that she was a lesbian, and he was a gay man himself. And he had an idea. He's like, "Hey, I have a friend. Actually, a friend. Not <laughs> this isn't one of those. I have a friend, but I'm talking about myself situations. It's like April." In Parks and Rec, like, this right. is my boyfriend, and this is my boyfriend's boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, he's like, he's like, I have a friend who is also a gay man, and I think the two of you would would make a good couple. And so he suggested what was known at the time as a lavender marriage. I think it still exists today. Um, so a lavender marriage is generally a marriage between two queer people or at least one queer person where the other person is fully aware of what is going on. Yeah, th- this, um, is a, this isn't like someone getting married to hide their sexuality right. and the other person doesn't know. Nope, this, this is, is both, pe- cu- both people are fully aware of what's going on. I love consent. Um, and so a lot of times this marriage was used, this type of marriage was used to protect themselves from rumors and violence. Um, a lot of times it was just also for particularly back then, convenience um, to allow the couple to dodge stigma surrounding queerness and at times also partake in the legal, social, and financial benefits of being married. Um, back then, the la- a lavender marriage, or back then, as now, a lavender marriage is rarely the preferred choice for queer individuals, um, and often it's a last resort for a person struggling to cope with everything that's going on. Yeah, and, and how sad is that? Um, you know, we, we talk about the sanctity of marriage and, you know, it's this beautiful thing between two people who love each other, but then by demonizing people based on their sexuality, we put them in a position where they have to get married to someone they don't love for safety. Yeah. That's fucked. And multiple types of safety, which is also not okay. Physical, emotional, financial. financial, I love you right now. 
Yeah, no, that's that's just super. It's it's super dark. Yeah, you know, we're just covering all the different types of marriages here. We got the Boston marriage. We got a lavender marriage. Yeah. Oh my god. So at the age of twenty-eight, Winnaretta would um, marry Count Robert's friend, a man named Prince Edmund de Polignac. So she essentially becomes a princess. I'm going to call him Prince Eddie. Prince Eddie. Um, he was an amateur, an amateur composer who had a title, obviously, but no money because he was not good with money. Um, I was kind of reading about him I've, and it was basically like he, had, he tried like investing in a bunch of get rich quick schemes that obviously didn't work out. So he had no money. All I can um, hear right now is the Mr. Money yeah. commercials from King of the Hill yeah. where it's like, hey, do you want to... Do you want to double your investment? Triple it? Okay, Mr. Hard Bargain. Quadruple your investment. And he's like, buy my VHS tape today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically that. Um, but basically Prince Prince Eddie was a perfect match for Winnaretta, who had a ton of money, but no title or like societal standing other than her money. Um the best part about this lavender marriage was it it didn't take long before they realized that they were more than two queer people supporting each other and they like legitimately came to care for each other and realized like they have a lot of same the same loves there and they really became best friends to the point where they would share music together like he's a composer so they would travel together and just genuinely really enjoyed being together. Oh my God. I love that. Right. Cause like, it sounds like her first marriage was, it sounds like the, the man that she married was not gay, but it sounds like that was an attempt at this where it's like, no, 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 we're just getting married as a business transaction. And this it's like, Hey, we're getting married as a business transaction. We're both very clear on our boundaries and we're both on board, but then they find this like emotional and right you know, they came to love each other just not yeah in like a romantic sense here's the thing though i totally you can have soulmates who you're not romantically involved 100%. with or who you don't romantically or physically love right and that's what this sounds like 100 percent. and i love that they found that in each other yeah and oh prince eddie yeah they were kind of opposites too which i also love like where he prince eddie was kind of an introverted shy sensitive kind of guy which is probably good that winneretta was kind of the opposite to kind of bring him out because i feel like when you're a composer you kind of have to like get to know people and get your name out there yeah so yeah where so he was shy and introverted where winneretta was kind of loud and like boisterous and really liked other people and so together they would amass a large group of friends most of whom were also queer and they would both maintain romantic and physical relationships outside of their marriage obviously they were both fine with it and some of Winnaretta's more famous partners I don't know any of these names um we'll get to a few later these Like there are a few key ones that I talk about later, but these were some of the ones that I didn't have a ton of information on. Mm -hmm. But so some of her more famous partners are Romaine Brooks, Olga, Olga, oh my God, Olga de Meyer, Ethel Smith, Renata Borgatti, Violet Trefusis, and Alvid Chaplin, which a lot of those names are very beautiful. And I'm like, I like all of them. Let's bring them all back. But their outside relationships, because of like the type of relationship they had, did not disrupt their love for each other. And they would work together to create a home that they would call the a temple of music. Okay. 
I love when estates have their own names. Temple of Music is pretty fucking sweet, though. Right. So, yeah, in 1894, the Prince and Princess de Polignac, so Winnerata and Prince Eddie, um, would establish um, a Parisian salon, which was a super big thing in the back in the day, basically, where artists would come to your house and it was like a, basically a big art get together. Um, but they would establish one in the music room of their mansion. And the Polignac Salon would co- become known as a haven for avant-garde music in particular. Um, Debussy and Ravel, who are like two bigger names in music, um, their first performances took place, took place there, which is pretty big. Um, in fact, the young Ravel dedicated one of his piano works, um, a work called Paven pour un infantante di funte to Winnerretta. Oh, something about a baby. Yep. That's about all <laughs> I know too. Something about a French baby. Um, there's something about that French baby. Many of Marcel Proust's uh, like writing about salon culture was also born due to his attendance, in particular at the Polignac Salon. So, like a lot of the writing we have about salons was based on how they ran theirs, which is kind of cool. I love that. I also love the idea that he went to one salon and was like, "This is how they all are. This is how they all should be." Or like everyone in the past, and then everyone else who's like dead in the past is like, "That's." That's not it. Right. <laughs> in 1901, um, unfortunately, Prince Eddie would die, leaving no! everything to Winnerretta. I mean, okay, yay. But no, right. I liked him. Yeah, he was actually a good guy. Um, and he would go on, or she would go on to honor both her husband and her own desires by continually investing in the art, supporting artists financially, as well as emotionally at times if she needed to. Um, she was fiercely protective of her friends and would push them through their failures as well as their successes. And she in particular decided to honor his memory by commissioning several young composers to make works in honor of him. Some of these were Igor Stravinsky's Renard. Oh, uh, that's a name that I recognize. Yeah. Right. And I'm an idiot. So that means he must be a pretty big deal. Right. Uh, Darius Milhaud's Les Mulheres de Orphie, organ, um, an organ concerto, a concerto for pianos, basically just a whole bunch of different ones, basically just dedicated to him. Yeah. Which I think is great. That's so sweet. Um, she would also continue the salon in her home and, and begin performing herself as a pianist and organist. Um, and she would work with accomplished painters to get them into, um, like different academies. Um, and she would actually paint herself and, um, supposedly, uh, what, what's your saying? Like, according to family family lore, um, one of her canvases appeared in a showcase in an art gallery advertised as a Manet, which Manet is a huge art term, like. Person. Yes. So, like, supposedly, according to family lore, she was good enough that people mistook her work for a Monet. So, that, okay. Hursary head cannon death happened. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I'm here for it. She also became a leader for the creation of public housing in Paris. So, like, love a, it. Aside from just art, she was like, no, like, everyone needs a house. Um, so she would use a lot of her money to provide well-maintained places for people to live at low prices, specifically focusing on restoring old abandoned houses to house abused women and their children. Can, okay, can I marry her? 
Because that's like my whole jam right now. Yeah. (laughs) So she started in 1911 building building a housing project for the working poor um, at a place called the Rue de la Colonie. Um, And that was basically considered a model for all future projects, which is super cool. So she would actually commission architects to rebuild old buildings or construct new buildings for these public shelters and then would donate them to the Salvation Army. That's fucking cool. Right. Because like when when it comes to creating new new like low income housing or it's the money. Right. It's absurdly expensive to do. Right. And there are only so many grants in the world. Yeah. So the fact that she's like, I've got the money, here's the money, do the damn thing. Like that's the dream. In one of the Salvation Army hostels that she had built, there was a, an apartment, a private apartment on the top floor listed to be for Miss Singer. Oh, So, like, they had places for her to stay if they needed to, but she didn't need to because she and her friend, Madeline Zillhart, actually just a friend, um, bought a barge called the Louise Catherine, which was named in honor of Madeline's companion partner, um, Louise Catherine Brislaw. So like she, they named it after her, which I love. I, I hope in all these articles they call her the companion, and we're all like, we're like girlfriend, no. yeah, girlfriend, partner, partner, whatever. life partner, yeah, basically wife, <laughs> right? So when Aretta and Madeline would rehabilitate this barge again using an architect, Les Les Corbusiers, um, and basically again they would give it to the Salvation Army to be a, a homeless shelter in the winter and a summer camp for children. In the summer, which I'm like, I don't know how that works, but okay. Okay. First of all, kids love boats. Kids yeah, but love like, running around on boats. And so you, don't, you don't need much there, do you, for kids yeah. to enjoy themselves? Also, if this is like the 1800s or even early 1900s, the bar is so low. Yeah, um, that's true. Because actually, I can see the homeless shelter before I see the camp for children yeah. somehow. But I'm like, no, kids love boats. Just put them on a boat um, and let them run around. It's yeah. fine. But they, they would moor the barge at Paris on the banks of the Seine. Um, Seine. Seine, whatever. Seine. Yeah. That just makes me think of Spirited Away. Oh, yes. Um, so she wouldn't only work with public housings. So um, during her lifetime, World War One would happen. And though she was deeply against the war, she yeah. was not okay with it. She was also deeply invested in sending medical aid to the soldiers. She was like, I may not agree with it, but our people are over there fighting and I'm not going to sit idly by while that happens. I really appreciate that. I, first of all, I don't think that's like a, a dual thinking no. or there's duality in that, but I feel like especially today we've gotten to the point where it's like, oh, if you don't support the war and the conflict, you don't support the people fighting it. It's like, no, I just really don't want them to have to go over right, there and like, fight I don't think and they die, should have to fight. But I support them as individuals. Yeah. I'm just really pissed off that they're having to do this and I don't want them to have to do this. Right. Like you can have it both ways. Right. So one of the things that she did is she would work with another herstory badass, Marie Curie. Oh, shit. And she would, Winneretta would go and acquire um, her rich friend's limousines that obviously weren't being used during this time. And her and Marie Curie would outfit these limousines into mobile radiology units that could go out into the field to help soldiers, um, as well as sending medical supplies along with it. Okay. I'm just going to say, can you imagine 
you're in the trenches. It's World War One. Everything is awful. And right. a limousine just comes barreling towards you. And they're like, get, get in. in. <laughs> get in and get an x-ray. And you're like, what? Is this how I get to but heaven? Like, in how, a limousine? In, how interesting that they would they, they turned limousines, yeah, that obviously weren't being used during the time into war ambulances. Like, who would have fucking thought? That's... I've literally never heard about that. And I love it. (laughs) We heard about war puppers before we heard about war War limousines. Limousines, yeah. Also, um, I also I, I think I I think I told you this story. I don't know if I've told it on the podcast. Um I met I met my fellow's friend and her kids and one of her one of her little kids was like reading a book all about science and he heard that I have a women's history podcast he's like have you heard of Marie Curie and like starts telling me all about her and like he came over and was showing me the book and I started explaining to him that we cover like lesser known women and he just starts staring at me and I'm like sorry tell me more (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then I was like talking about the radium girls and radium. We started talking about like the pros and cons. So I was like, maybe don't try to explain your podcast concept to a literal child. Right. But it was super cute. Cause he's like, Oh my God, I just learned about Marie Curie. And you're She's, like, I'm so you glad. have to learn. Like you have to talk about her. I'm like, you are so precious. Thank God you are our future. Yeah. That's super cute. Um, so after the war, during between the wars, let's be honest, um, she would work with Consuelo Vanderbilt Balson um, and would assist in the construction of a 360 bed hospital to provide medical care for middle class workers. Oh, that's awesome. It's one of those like she recognized that the middle class weren't being as well taken care of. And she was like, OK, let's build a hospital. So the result of this is the the Foch Foch. F-O-C-H, Foch Hospital. And we're going to call it the Fuck Hospital. The Fuck Hospital, located in a Which is what Grey's Anatomy Paris. should be called. Every hospital drama should be called Fuck Hospital. Um, and this hospital also includes a school for nursing, and as far as my research could tell, is still one of the top-ranked hospitals in France specific- for a lot of things, but especially for renal transplants. So if you need a new um, kidney, go to France. Fuck Hospital. Fuck hospital. We know kidneys. <laughs> right. I want their um, t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> What's cool about it is it's actually really remained true to its origins and has stayed a private not-for-profit hospital that still serves the like middle-class Paris community. That's really awesome. Um, so something that we've been talking a lot about in like the housing sphere is the need for housing along the entire spectrum from right. like low income housing to starter homes to like middle class. M- yeah, middle class and moderate housing and all this other stuff because to have this healthy housing ecosystem, everyone needs to be served. And it's really the issue is like one kind of person is being served right now. Um, but in something like that, you know, yeah, there are programs for people who it's I like I, I've heard this from people who come to our program asking for help where yeah. they're like, well, I make too much for this program, but not enough for this. And, you know, they're kind of stuck in this middle area because there are programs that are designed to help like the most vulnerable, like you, you have nothing. And I'm really glad those programs are out there for them. People who have something, but still not a lot struggle because they don't fit into these buckets of, yeah. of help. Yeah. It's so dumb. that's awesome. Um, yeah. So what the, it's, it's still managed today by the foundation medical Franco American du Mont Valerian, 
commonly found, known as Foundation Foch or Foundation Fuck. Foundation Fuck. Um, sadly, because of who Inaretta was, um, a lot of her personal exploits would end up in the spotlight and kind of take away, at least at the time, from all these good things she was doing. This included her annulment, her openness about being a lesbian, and her many relationships with married women, which may be not the best choices, but you never know what kind of marriage they're in, and those women can make their own choices. Hey, I'm not advocating for, like, extramarital affairs, but can I just say, the guys were all fucking around. Right. And no one cared. But it's because she was a woman. Yeah. Fucking around. Particularly with other women, but with other general, women. No, yeah. exactly. Exactly. It's totally sexist. Also, I'm sorry. Does that mean she didn't build fuck hospital? Right. Like, does that exactly. invalidate the medical care? Go fuck yourself at fuck hospital. Right. So I'm going to, I'm going to talk about some of her relationships that ended up in the spotlight. Some are funny. Some are just interesting. So Winnaretta would have a relationship with Romaine Brooks, who was a painter. It began in 1905 and be um and it it effectively ended her affair with the woman she had been seeing previously Olga de, de Meyer who who was married at the time and supposedly whose godfather was Edward the 7th so yep that's a thing um and then composer and conductor Ethel Smith would fall in love with her during her affair with Romaine so that was happening on the side <laughs> Like I said, like, okay, so you know how we like to play the game and by we, I mean the collective American public, yeah. uh, six degrees from seven, Kevin Bacon, yep. like how many degrees this, away? This are, is how many degrees away from Winnerretta Singer are people. Well, and I'm, I'm thinking like, cause here, at this time, everyone's fucking everybody. If you're someone, you're fucking in the everybody. Sphere, spheres, not, I'm not saying it's like they were having more sex, but just because the, the spheres tended to be so much smaller generally all of them are interconnected with one another. No, no, I see what you mean. Like we talk, we talk about Tallulah Bankhead and it's like everyone fucked Tallulah right, Bankhead. Right, because, because there, it was a very small circle. Well, and especially because you're not just talking about the queer street, you're talking about the queer privileged That's true. sphere like in this area. But I wonder if they could play the game like how many degrees of separation are you from fucking the queen? <laughs> or the king or like yeah. royalty because... It sounds like Winnerretta was like three degrees away. Oh, 100%. <laughs> so Winnerretta would then become with, involved with a pianist, Renata Borgatti, and then she would take a lover of a British socialite, Violet Trufusis, um, who she stayed together with for like 10 years, but it was kind of a turbulent relationship. Mm -hmm. um, in addition to this, at some point during all of this, she also had an affair with Virginia Woolf. Which, which I had to throw in there because I knew Emily would love it. Oh my God, yes. So one of her more dramatic moments of her story, again, this is according to family lore, but apparently one time during one of her salons, a husband of one of the women she was seeing burst into her dining room and yelled, quote, if you are the man you pretend to be, come and fight me in a duel tomorrow at the Lido. He then stole some stuff and left. Okay. Um, okay. Like, I get you have the moral high ground until you start just like, until you 
take a bunch of shit and leave. Right. The duel never happened. And the things he stole, um, he threw in the river and were recovered the next day. But obviously, like, that made a lot of headlines. I hope that she was, like, on the Lido deck with her umbrella being, like, like fucking waiting. Fucking come at me, motherfucker. <laughs> right. She would eventually move to France, uh, from France to London during World War II, um, and she would live with a woman named Alville Chaplin, um, who would go on to be the future wife of James Lee Milne, um, but was um, involved with Winnaretta for a number of years. And in fact, the two were living together in London um, during this time period of World War Two. Um, Winnaretta would continue to use her connections to throw charity events, even during the war. Unfortunately, she would die during the war in late 1943 during an attack on the city. (gasps) Oh my God. She died like in an air raid. Yeah. Oh my God. Yep. No. And and she she was living with Alvield at the time who, who would survive. Oh my God. Yep. That is not how I thought this story was <laughs> just done. Wow, you screeched to a goddamn halt. Right. And yep. I will never forgive you for this. Why would you kill her off? <laughs> I didn't. The world did. That's so that's so crazy though. And I, again, what blows my mind is even during this incredibly dangerous and turbulent time, like she's, she's choosing, throwing charity events. And she's I feel like she was choosing to live in London because that's where the need was. Probably. And that strikes me as obviously was not a safe place to be living. Right. But she's still like trying to help people. But everyone else is just like, "Mm, she's a lesbian. It's like she's a rich lesbian who's actually using her money for good. Go fuck yourself at fuck hospital. Sadly, (laughs) due to the war, a lot of her friends and family were unable to mourn her, particularly the ones in France who were like actively being invaded at the time. Yeah. And so they were unable to publicly mourn her passing until much later when the war had ended. Um, she had obviously amassed quite a collection of like art and stuff over the years, and most of it was donated after her debt and much death, and much of her estate um, was used to basically continue funding product projects both both within arts, sciences, and like public spaces. So obviously, her um, legacy is long and complicated. Like one, she was an open lesbian and that really led the the way for a lot of others. Um, but she also funded so many young composers and really got their names out there. She there was a story where she like helped one of them out of jail because he got arrested and she was just like, fine, I'll pay your bail. Um, as well as like she had a loving partner in life. Um that was not romantic or physical, but like they were there. Yeah, they they like loved and supported they made each the other. Temple to music. So she would, and she, he made her a princess. So right, exactly. she was the princess of music. Um, but yeah, and also after her death, um, there was a foundation called the the Singer Pol- Polniak Foundation because she did hyphenate her name when yeah. she got married. Um, and basically this carried on her legacy of enlightened generosity. It was created in 1928 and the goals of the foundation are the promotion through gifts and bonuses of science, literature, arts, culture, and French philanthropy. Um, it continued to host concerts and recitals at the Polignac Mansion's music room. So kind of continued salons just in a little different way. Is that still there? I don't know. Because I want to go to there. 
Um, I'm gonna have to look it up, but um, you don't have to look it up right now. I'm just, I'm just like, how cool would it be to go to that place still today and experience a French salon? Right. In this beautiful temple of music that the prince and princess of music created together in their lavender marriage where they loved each other's souls. Yes. Um, but yeah, so like her legacy was just definitely one of caring compassion and she was. She was a princess in spirit and in title. I okay. I want to be her like like if I was if I had a ton of money, I would want to be like a big patron of the arts, really into philanthropy, like that just sounds like that's the dream. Right. You know, but here's the thing. You don't amass a ton of wealth by being a caring individual. So the Elon, what the foundation itself still exists. I'm trying to see if. The mansion. Yeah. So they have like a music residency. It's actually pretty cool. All of all of the musicians listening, get on this. Get on yeah, this. Yeah, the and mansion find still the exists. Yes. Oh my god. I just want to like roll around on the floor. It's all in French, so I can't like read the website, but it is it might even be a hotel. Oh my god. Kelly. All right. I, I will look more into that and you tell your story. Kelly, book our tickets. Kelly, book our tickets. <laughs> hey, guys. We know times have been tough lately for all of us. And during hard times, it can be difficult if you don't have anyone to talk to or it can be hard to talk about certain topics. Being alone with your thoughts can be isolating. This is why we are sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen to and help you. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Thank goodness. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that gives you access to the help that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. That is Amazon fast. Then you schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages, and everything you share is completely confidential, just like with an in-person therapist. You can request a new therapist at any time at no additional charges. If you want to talk to someone about your mental health, you can get a 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash herstory. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash herstory. Well, thank you so much for sharing that incredible story. Um, I am going to talk about and whine about a very intriguing young lady named April Ashley, or as she Ooh. called herself, the First Lady. Ooh, so we're, we have a princess and a First Lady. Yes, Ooh. although yours was a legit princess. Mine is like a self-declared First yeah, Lady. it's fine. It's fine. You know what? You are what you call yourself. I'm a genius. It's great. So it's the swinging 60s in England. The country is recovering from the devastation of World War II. We're like picking up where you left. Yeah, oh. perfect. There we go. <laughs> the devastation of World War II and the tragic death of Wilhelmina Swings. 
I almost called her swinger. Winneretta Swinger. Did I say Willametta Swinger? Yep, you did. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, when I write the the historical fiction of her story. I said Willametta and you said... Or no, I said Winneretta. Yeah. And you said Willametta. Yep, it's fine. But the country is mourning the devastating loss of... Winneretta Winneretta Singer. (laughs) Oh my God, I still can't say it. It's okay. Winneretta Singer. Maybe this is why people don't name their kids that anymore. Maybe. Because when they have a glass of wine, it's They're like, like Winneretta. Maybe you just short it, short it to Winnie bed. and just move on. Winneretta, go to Winneretta. bed. You don't need another glass of water. <laughs> You're anyway. fine. You're going to pee yourself. Yep. <laughs> but I have to pee. Pee the bed. <laughs> Mommy's go to drinking. Bed. <laughs> Mommy's having me time. <laughs> Um, with frank (laughs) with fucking frank yes so the country is recovering from the devastation of world war ii and youth culture is transforming the country in a big way bright colors rock and roll music Mm. and mod style are the hallmarks of the next generation which are hardly recognizable from the more conservative keep calm and carry on one that preceded them Mm. One of the faces of this new generation was fashion model April Ashley. I love that. You know when a bitch has two first names. Right. She's a nice alliteration. In yeah. There. You, you watch out because she's fabulous, but she will kill you. A stunning bombshell with doe eyes, glamorous looks, and a seductive yet playful smile. April was a fun-loving glamour queen living out loud and embodied the we're here for a good time, not for a long time, bacchanalia energy of the 60s. Known for rubbing elbows with the likes of John Lennon, Mick Jagger, Elvis Presley, and more, ever heard of literally any of those people, April Ashley was on top of the world. And men. And men. Peggington. Peggington. <laughs> Peggington on Devin <laughs> and John and Mick and Elvis. No, I'm Everyone. According to family lore, don't sue me. Yeah. Allegedly. That is until November 19th, 1961, when the Sunday People, a British tabloid, literally the best place to get all of your credible and 1, non-biased information. They always talk about aliens. Yep. By the way, did I tell you I'm having Sasquatch's baby? We just, we met in the woods and just like really clicked. You should see his mustache. Mm-hmm. I call him Stash Squatch. <laughs> I love that. So this British tabloid printed the headline, quote, her secret is out, revealing that April Ashley was assigned male at birth. <gasps> Who cares? Literally. Well, apparently a lot of people uh, yeah, in the fucking God 60s. God's sakes. Your country just got the shit bombed out of it. And we're just recovering from one of like the worst global conflicts right, in modern like, history. But let's talk about this one person that you But let's was born talk about her bits. Yeah. So April Ashley was born in Liverpool, England on April 29th, 1935, as one of six surviving children to parents Frederick and Ada. April was a sickly child suffering from a calcium deficiency, which required weekly injections to treat. So she's already kind of like the runt of her family. Like she's kind of, she like, she is, she is one of six surviving children and she's, she's surviving, but not well. 
April's childhood was not a happy one. Along with poor health, she her impoverished 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 family struggled financially and emotionally. Her father, Frederick, worked as a cook with the Royal Navy and was at sea for long periods of time. When he was home, he was often drunk, but and like not excusing the alcoholism, as April would describe him, he was a quote unquote gentle drunk. So it sounds like he would just drink himself into a stupor and was probably more neglectful than outright abusive. Okay. Not great. Still not great. Neglect is the most common form of abuse, but I I just want to like, he's not like physically attacking his children. Okay. Ada, on the other hand, a bomb factory worker was violent and abusive. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, That's terrible. Yep. So from a young age, April knew she was a girl. She exhibited traditionally feminine traits and felt uncomfortable with the masculine standards that were expected of her. This led to a lot of bullying from boys at school and even her own mother. Like, and I, I just want to point out really quick, Frederick and Ada are were living and growing up in a time of serious stress and trauma. And like they lost several children. I'm not saying that, their their tempers or their alcoholism came out of nowhere but that does not excuse how they're treating their child especially april because she she's not like meeting these standards so they're inc- so like she's taking a lot of the abuse cuz she's she's being singled out so as a child april would lie in bed and pray quote please god when i wake up let me be a girl which is just tragic. That's yeah, that's super sad. Also, like to people who like to say, "Well, how do you know?" It when you're praying to God to be a girl every night, you know. Just saying. As April continued to struggle with her gender identity, uh, she decided that if God wouldn't answer her prayer, she would do everything possible to become as masculine as she could. So she's like, "Okay, if if I can't be a girl." then I'm going to do my best and try my hardest to fit into society because that's the only way I'm going to survive. In 1951, April joined the Merchant Navy at 16 years old where she was bullied for being too feminine. Again, likely due to the ongoing trauma of her childhood and the continued abuse she was facing as an adult, adult aka teenager april attempted suicide while on shore leave in los angeles Hmm. this is a great time to remind everyone that gender affirming care is life-saving care Mm -hmm. and that those passing or trying to pass anti-trans bills denying gender affirming health care know that it's life or death and that's the point they know that it's a life or death situation and that's exactly what they want Because, hey, if these poor children go off and kill themselves, then we don't have to deal with them anymore. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah, it's so disgusting. Um, April survived, but was dishonorably discharged from the Navy, which is fucked. I don't know if they had like a section eight kind of thing at the time where you could get discharged for mental health issues, but that's really, that sucks. After a second unsuccessful attempt on her own life, April checked herself into the Ormskirk District General Hospital Psychiatric Unit at 17 years old. There she begged for doctors to, quote, make me more manly. She's like, you you got to help me fit in because I, I can't. Right. I'm, I'm not going to survive. That's heartbreaking. 
For a year, April was medicated and subjected to electroshock therapy and any other therapy they could throw at her. And as she said, quote, it lasted a year. And at the end of the day, they told me it was no use. Oh, my God. Again, like, okay, this is also therapy in the like. Hold on. We're post-World War Two eras yeah th- this is the 50s where they can kind of do whatever the fuck they want yeah. to you honestly she's probably lucky she didn't get a lobotomy yes but also like it's not gonna change you this whole like um wh- oh god what do they call it what do they call it the like pray the gay away therapy and like conversion the therapy. conversion thank you it's terrible it's straight up abuse no it one that is what is. april went through and you know what it did not a goddamn thing except make her more traumatized yep. so why are we still doing it there's a lot of times people come out where they can't really do one or like they they don't go either way because they're so traumatized in yeah. both directions like they're not attracted to the one sex because they're just not but they're traumatized away from the gender that they actually like. And so yeah. they just like kind of go crazy. It's Which, very heartbreaking and sad. Conversion therapists, if we can call them therapists, would see a success. Yeah. Which is it's not sad. Actually, Minnesota uh, passed a protection yeah, against they ban- like they banned it. conversion therapy. And I remember I saw, I saw the article like posted. Cried. I was so happy. I was so thrilled. And I made the mistake of going into the comments. And there were a lot of comments basically saying like, we've got better things to do. I'm like, Oh, we have better things to do than prevent child abuse. Right. Go fuck yourself. Anyway. So if you thought that her dysfunctional family would be there for her throughout her mental health struggles, then you're living in a delusional fantasy and I would love to join you. Right. Let me move in. April had been rejected by her family who were likely ashamed of her not manly enough of their not manly enough child who had been discharged from the Navy and struggled with her mental health. Like she's kind of hitting all the stigmas for the time. Right. Exactly. Unwelcome in Liverpool, April decided to try her hand in London. And it was a decision that may have saved her life. Right. Like, because at least in the bigger city, you're probably more likely to find people similar to you. Yes. So in a large city like London, April was able to reinvent herself. And instead of trying to force herself to be more masculine to appease everyone else, she, excuse me, she embraced her femininity and began dressing and presenting as a woman. This is just like a nice little reminder to all of the like queer kids and all the like people who are living in a small town where they don't feel accepted. Like there are other places for you and they're waiting. Like your people are waiting. Your people are here. You just got to survive as long as you can to get the fuck out. And I, that's really, that's really bleak and that shouldn't be on especially a child's responsibility to survive until they can go somewhere more accepting. But your people are out here. Like we're here and we love you. So at first she went by the name Tony April. And this is how she introduced herself when she met another trans trailblazer, Cochinelle, who I covered in episode 150. And as we learned, Cochinelle means butterfly in French. Which I love. So while on vacation in Paris, she met Cochinelle and other drag performers. And I, I use the term drag like in quotes because they were considered drag performers. But a lot of these people were trans And there is a difference. You can be trans and be a drag performer. I'm just trying not to conflate the two as 
being inherently interchangeable. Um, so they were working at Le Carousel nightclub and April got a job as a dancer there. And I imagine this as another incredible turning point in her life. She had found her people. She wasn't alone and she was validated. She's like, oh my God, I'm not the only one. Not only did April find her people, but she also now had access to their knowledge. This is in the 1950s, and you can't Google shit about trans culture or healthcare. Not that there were a ton of healthcare options to be found, but you can't even like find a message board online where you can type out, hey, has anyone else ever experienced this? And then a bunch of people are like, oh my God, yes, yes here's exactly. the language, here are resources. Like you are, you're so isolated because your only network are the people that you physically know. And I know the right. internet's kind of a fucking shit storm, but, but it can that be is a benefit. Helpful. Yeah. Yes. Cochanel had undergone gender affirmation surgery in 1958 with the help of Dr. Georges Barreau, one of the few people who would complete these surgeries at the time. She shared this information with April and even provided a letter of recommendation to Dr. Barreau on April's behalf. Because empowered women empowered women. Heck yeah. Fuck yes. So April began taking estrogen supplements, and by 1960, she had saved up enough money for the surgery, um, which cost 3,000 pounds, which would be $131,000 today. That's a lot. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So she traveled to Morocco on May 12, 1960, to meet Dr. Burrow. The surgery lasted seven hours and was incredibly difficult on April's body, causing her to lose her hair and significant pain, which like that's not uncommon. If you go through a serious surgery, like like even with pregnancy, your hair can fall out when your body goes under serious trauma or a huge change. Um, But fortunately, it was successful. Before she went under, Dr. Barreau said to April, au revoir, monsieur. And when she woke up, he greeted her with, Bonjour, mademoiselle. And that phrase sounded really familiar to me. And that's because he said the same thing to Cochanel before and after her surgery. And I even titled that episode after it. So that her part of that episode is called Bonjour, mademoiselle. Mm-hmm. And I love the idea that like he probably said it once and was like, this is Ooh, great. That's a yeah. that's really fucking cool. I'm going to say that to everyone now and that's just like what he said. But also it's very sweet because how affirming is it to have your doctor, a medical practitioner, acknowledge your gender and then it's also their way of saying like it was a success, you know? But yeah, I just love that he has a catchphrase. He has a post-surgery catchphrase. So upon returning to London, April registered with the London government as a woman and changed her name to April Ashley. Um, I also just really quick, because I think this will be relevant later. The gender affirming surgery that April had was vaginoplasty. So -hmm. she has a vagina or she she like she has a vagina or an equivalent. Yes. Um, And that's and I just want to mention that because later the whole idea of like your genitalia and like what you do or don't have is going to become important. And it's like, well, she literally has a vagina. So she doesn't have a penis anymore. How are we going to draw the line anyway? So I, I don't think I included that because I like gender affirming surgery better, but specifically she had a vaginoplasty. So with her experience uh, as a dancer and the fact that she was fucking 
gorge, April was able to break into the entertainment and fashion world. And she did a little bit of everything, including modeling lingerie for top British designers, acting in The Road to Hong Kong with Bob Hope and Bing Crosby, and appearing as a model in British Vogue. Mm. Hot, hot, hot. Her career was on upward trajectory. That is until the infamous article appeared in the Sunday People, a trashy fucking tabloid. Mm. I couldn't figure out who it was or what the relationship was, but in every article I read, it said a friend who knew that April was a trans woman sold the story to a tabloid, which they were more than happy to print. Because they're like, there's this hot model bombshell on the scene. She's skyrocketing into the stratosphere of fame and success. We're going to bury her. We're going to shoot her out of the sky. Like, goddamn. And the fact that, like, someone would sell that story to a magazine is so, it's really, it's horrifying. It's so gross. The backlash was severe. Her name was cut from the road to Hong Kong. She lost modeling contracts and all future prospects for work evaporated almost overnight. It goes without saying that being outed as trans also opened April up to a lot of physical and emotional and verbal violence. As a result, April fled to Spain, where she was more well accepted. Here she began to rebuild her career modeling and dancing in nightclubs. It was while working at a club uh, in the Costa de Sol, that she met owner Arthur Corbett, the son of a baron. Fancy. Mm. 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 <laughs> Let me get my monocle and swirl my mustache. Pinky up. Pinky, Pinky up. up. <laughs> Bougie bouge. <laughs> so the two courted for two years before the definitely married the whole time Corbett finally divorced his wife. <laughs> so they're, they're, he's cheating on his wife for two years. Corbett and April were married in 1963. And before you ask, yes, he knew that April was trans. He knew the whole time because she's still a woman and that doesn't like invalidate his sexuality in any way, shape or form. Although, like most marriages that are birthed from infidelity, this one did not last. And within two weeks, two weeks, they were stooping each other for two years. He divorces his wife. Two weeks later, she's like, I don't know. It's not hot anymore. (laughs) I'm like, I think it was the affair that might have like turned both of them on. She's like, you know, now that there's not a chance of being caught by your wife, I'm just not into it. Yeah. Like she's just not that into your monogamy. (laughs) And like, I, it's just, yeah. So she, after two weeks, she ran off with a Spanish nobleman. Which I'm like, April's fucking wild, and I love her. Fuck yeah. So the contentious divorce proceedings would drag out for three years with the judge ruling that despite April having gender-affirming surgery, that she was, quote, at all times a man, unquote, and their marriage technically never happened because it was impossible for two men to marry. Where are we defining? How are we defining gender and sex at this point? And this is why when people like to say like, no, if you have a penis, you're a man. If you have a vagina, you're a woman. It's like, it is not that complicated. You can change that shit. You can have both. I could have testicles and have no idea. Right. Because most intersex people either it's without their consent, surgically changed at birth, 
or your they have no don't idea and they're internal and you don't know until years later exactly and like what about our chromosomes are we gonna start talking about our hormone levels like there are so many elements that can contribute to sex and gender actually that contribute to sex Yep. Gender is a social construct. And literally, if we're going to draw the line at your genitalia, well, if she's got a vagina, I don't see what the problem is. Like, pick a lane. Pick a fucking lane. All Like, all these arguments are bullshit, but it's like, even the bullshit arguments... They're not paying attention to, you know, they're not, uh, sorry. So no, it's bullshit. So I can't also, I love this idea. It's impossible for two men to marry. So I can't wait for the Jurassic Park treatment of scientifically engineering two men who can actually marry thanks to prehistoric DNA found in mosquitoes. It's literally impossible for two men to marry. Is it like, I don't know. I've seen it happen. (laughs) So. This also brings up a great point. Oh, wait, I just went into that. Sorry, I wrote these notes a month ago. But yeah, just talking about how we define sex, how you can change your genitalia, how you can have multiple different types of genitalia, like pick an ineffectual argument and stick with it, assholes. So April would spend the next several years parting it up with celebs like Peter O'Toole, having affairs with famous men and leaning into the party lifestyle. She reportedly downed 32 martinis in one night, which I think should be our next Patreon video. Like if we get up to a certain number of patrons, like if we get 50 patrons, we will down 32 martinis in one night, do a video of it together, together, not separately because we'd probably both die. We might. We, we might, might die actually anyways. die. Um, unfortunately, the body can only take so many martini poundings before it catches up to you. And after suffering from several heart attacks, she decided it was time to take a little break. Self-care is important. So two heart attacks are a coincidence. Three or more is a pattern. So April moved to a small bohemian town of Hayon Way. Hey, on way to chill out before <laughs> deciding that. to kick things back uh, into high gear and moving to San Diego in the 1980s to live her next life as an artist making and selling wildlife themed art, such as glass swans and alabaster wolves. And I'm just, I love the idea that she's got this art shop that's just full of glass swans and alabaster wolves, and like people come in, she's like, hi would you like to examine my craft like she's one of those like really hippy dippies little art shop ladies and she sells two things glass swans and alabaster wolves heck yeah (laughs) it's just so specific and i love her so much um so during this time she was also married to a man named jeffrey west on the queen mary which are goals i want to sleep on that haunted ass ship The two would divorce after 10 years, but remain friends. The glass swans and alabaster wolves could only keep April's attention for so long, and she moved to Nice, France in the 90s. And by this time, attitudes were beginning to evolve, and there was renewed interest in April and her story. In 2001, when a documentary was made about her ex-husband's family, the Corbett's, because remember, like, they're barons. Right. Kind of big deal. You know. She appeared it's to share quite a her princess, apartment. But you know. Yeah, I mean, she's a she was a baroness for two weeks. Right. 
It's close. <laughs> Although she probably had her tiles trip because technically she was physically unable to marry her husband, which I'm like, bullshit. Tell me how that's physically impossible. Use physics. So that same year, the divorce case where a judge determined that April had always been a man was struck down by the European Commission on Human Rights, forcing Britain to adopt new laws to protect the rights of trans people because, again, it made literally no goddamn fucking sense. April, who had lived a hundred lives at this time and started over countless more, knew that this was a new beginning. She embraced the new attention she received and returned to London to find it was a much different city than the one she had been run out of. April became an activist for trans rights, lecturing at universities, appearing on talk shows, and even spoke at St. George's Hall in Liverpool as part of their Homotopia Festival. Can we get tickets? Homotopia Festival. I just want the shirt. Yeah, I want the crop top that says... Like 2024 Homotopia Festival. I want the sweatshirt. Oh, the sweatshirt. I want the hoodie, the sweatpants. Mm, mm, oh my God. Oh, joggers. You know, okay. Complete side note. I never thought I would like joggers because I usually don't like like the tight ankles, but they're my fucking favorite pants. hundred percent. I'm the same way. I am the same way and they are the best thing yeah. in the world. 1,000. So April also reached out to then Deputy Prime Minister John Prescott. Who she had actually shared a boarding house with back in the day, back in the swinging 60s. Prescott was able to get April a new birth certificate that confirmed she was a woman. So we're not going to have to be rehashing the same like fucking finally. April had evolved from a raucous party girl to a refined, glamorous, dowager-esque force to be reckoned with. She had no qualms about name-dropping all of the famous people she had associated with and telling her truly wildlife story. And when I say name-dropping, I mean, like, all the famous people she allegedly slept with. And I only say allegedly because I don't want to get sued today. In 2006, she published her memoir called The First Lady, which was a success and even optioned for a movie with Capron Zeta... Cap... Did I say Capron? Capron. Kaplan. Capers. Capricorn. Catherine Zeta-Jones. She dips under lasers. Whoa. (laughs) But yeah, Catherine Zeta-Jones rumored to play her. But because April is just like. The, she is the infinite source of her yeah. own drama at all times. Ever surrounded by drama was accused of plagiarizing chunks of her memoir from a previous autobiography that she co-wrote with another author. And like the whole thing fell apart. The option Ugh. fell through. And I love like I get that she wrote it with another author and like they have rights to that story, too, in their work. But I'm like. Only fucking April Ashley can plagiarize herself. Like, she is the drama. Right, 100%. She's just <laughs> literally creating her own drama. I love her so much. April lived out her life uh, out loud up until the very end, passing away peacefully on December 27th, 2021. This woman has lived so much life at 86 years old in Southwest London. Damn. Yeah. And I want to end this with just a a couple of quotes other than her, her legacy as an example for trans rights, trans um, existence and representation. Also, please Google pictures of her when she's older. Like she started to dye her hair blue and like, she's like, 
oh, yeah. I'm she's old fantastic. money darling. Like she really gets, she's so fucking I love fabulous. It. I love it so much. So um, in her first autobiography that she plagiarized from later called April Ashley's Odyssey, she wrote, I am a natural optimist. I have a terrific zest for life and that frightens even me sometimes. And perhaps suffering is the consequence of this. It doesn't have to be, but usually is. The more roads you cross, the greater of risk the greater the risk of being hit by cars. Which is her life philosophy. She's like, yeah, even I was like, damn, April, calm down sometimes. But like, she's just got this zest for life. She can't hold back. And then uh, this final quote, she told the Liverpool Daily Post in 2008. I always say three things. Be beautiful, be kind to yourself and others. Mm. And most of all, be brave. Chins up, get on with life and be as brave as you can. And that is the incredible story of the first lady, the self-described first lady, April Ashley. Oh no! Sometimes I feel like I need like an ending right. sound, like blah, 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 blah. like please applaud. Like, should we get should we get like a live audience to like clap when we tell them to? We light up the light, and they're just like they go oh, or they laugh at the right moment, or go ooh. I mean, technically that'll do sound effects. I just don't remember what they are. I don't remember what they are, and also it adds like twenty extra tracks that are very difficult to edit, and I hate doing it. So. I'm just saying we could do it without actually needing people in here. I would prefer people. I want the authentic experience. I want people to witness Live my glory. Live studio audience. Live studio audience of three people and three pugs. Yeah, we're so, back to a grumble. So, Kelly. That's what I'm thankful for. Oh. I'm thankful for Zana. Now I'm going to wait for me to ask no, you a question. I know exactly I what I wasn't is. going to ask you what you're thankful what for. What were you going to ask me then, Emily? I was going to ask you if you want tacos. I mean, I always want tacos. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. What are you thankful for? I, I'm thankful for Zana and being able to get her both like financially and emotionally. She's been great. Um, the other pugs get along with her really well. And yeah, it's just, it's been nice to have a little grumble again. Oh, they fucking love her. Like, I, I was holding her. I was like, can I put her down or the yeah. other pugs? Oh. Because, like, Dory Navi, doesn't give a shit. Yeah. And Navi, like, mothers her. It's yeah. weird. I think that's so sweet. Because, like, Navi was a runt. Like, she she's always going to oh, be Zana a little smaller. Because we met Zana's sister. They had two females left. Uh-huh. And Zana's sister was, like, almost Navi's size. What it's, the like, fuck? Like, slightly smaller. But, like, you could tell she was going to be a bigger dog. And Zano was significantly smaller, so obviously we picked the smaller one. <laughs> yeah, I love a good run. On par. I love a good run. That's why I have a wafy little chihuahua. But yeah, like, Hi, Zana's like half of Navi's size. That's Maybe. insane. Well, and I, I would actually say a quarter. She's tiny. She's tiny. But like Navi's already a very small dog. Dory is like a pretty, she's a pretty, th- she's a hefty thick. Pug. She's a thick girl. Thick with three C's. But I was like, are they going to bully her? Because if Dory goes at her, like, she just has to sit on Zana and it's over. Yeah, (laughs) Zana would be a pancake. But no, they're being so good and so sweet to her. And she's just, like, loving life. I thought it was funny that you, like, set her down and the first thing she did was, like, go under Dory. And Dory's just kind of like, whatever. Yeah. I will be your shelter. Under the shelter of an aged tree. Yeah. 
What are you thankful for? Um, I am thankful that I got the opportunity to attend my fellow sister's wedding. It was a really lovely affair up on up north, as we like to say, on the North Shore. Um, I did get to put my hands in Lake Superior, even though no one would let me swim in it. You know who you are. But it was it was so beautiful and like, you know, his sister and her husband are really lovely and wonderful people. And it was just really nice, like, oh my god, they're finally married and like they're declaring their right, love and their super commitment cute. for each other. And it was and I got to spend a lot of time with his uh with his nephew. Lulo. Lo. And I love him. I'm obsessed with him. He's amazing. And yeah, no, I got I got to meet a lot of my fellow's family and they were all very nice. It was just it was a really nice weekend. Got to go to Gooseberry Falls, yeah, which are beautiful. goddamn stunning. I will go back. I will go swimming in the falls. This is my life. It was basically like I sent pic- an Emily a picture of the puppy, and I was like, look what I did. And she was like, waterfall. And I was like, God damn it. Okay, to be fair, I was just spamming everyone on Snapchat with pictures of Lake Superior I know, and waterfalls. I was like, I love waterfalls. And it was funny because yeah. I said that to Justin. I'm like, oh, Emily has the better picture. And he's like, Kelly, we have a goddamn puppy. <laughs> And I'm like, but waterfall. And he's like, Zana will not be a puppy forever. That waterfall will still be there, Kelly. God willing. I love waterfalls. I, I do too. I actually, I like stuck my hand under the running water. Fuck yeah. And like, oh, it was so beautiful. And I loved it so much. But yeah, no, it was, it was a great weekend. I got to, yeah, I got to spend a lot of time with my fella and his family. And I love them. And yeah. So it's good. Oh. It's good. Yeah. Also, okay. Um, at one point, like during the reception, I kind of like snuck away. So the part of the reception, there's this back patio that's overlooking Lake Superior. And there are these oh, stone gorgeous. steps that go like right down to the water. And there are rocks that you can walk on. So I was in my heels and I'm like, I'm going to fucking touch the water. Like I have to, I must, it's who I am. So I walk down the rocks in my heels and I'm like walking across the rocks to get to a a spot kind of closer. Granted, I'm like two or three cocktails in right now. And I sent my mom a picture and I texted her. I was like, I walked down some stone steps and across walks on heels to like get close to the water. And she's like, I'm so proud of you. Hearing the word heels makes me makes me feel pain. And I said, it's incredible what an open bar and comfy insoles will do for you. And she just goes, that's my girl. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> and I'm like, I love you, mom. That's great. I love that yeah. your mom's just like, that's my girl. Yep, yep. I raised that bitch right. <laughs> I love your mother. I love her so much. Uh well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory, and thank you for your patience while we get our audio figured out. Again, I'm sorry that last week's audio was not great, but again, rough. Isabel Vincent, she had so much to say. She did 90% of the talking, and I could just like listen to her tell stories all, all day. Yeah. yeah, it was fantastic. So if anything, it was probably better that you couldn't hear us as much. <laughs> Uh, like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAH Pad, Twitter at WAH underscore Pod. Our website is whiningaboutherstory.com where you can find our merch. There's some really sweet merch. You can find our Patreon where you can donate for as little as $1 a month. Or you can find our Buy Me a Coffee where you can actually buy us a bottle of wine and we'll find a wine related to your name or uh, one you tell us to buy and shout you out. Fuck, I forgot to talk about that at the top. No, we can do that at the next episode. Okay. It's fine. I don't think we have a wine for that. Let me get a pen.
coffee. This pen is terrible. This pen might cut me. What is this thing? It's for like shade. It's a like a fancy pen for oh, shading. Anyways, God. Um. Also, rate us five stars wherever you listen because it gives us the warm fuzzies. Not like the wine warm fuzzies, but like genuinely warm fuzzies. It gives us that natural high. Yeah. Love it. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. Have an empowered day, y'all. Bye.